Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. Let's go ahead and look at Romans 2, verse 1. Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. Now, who is Paul speaking to here? I mean, he's not directly talking to the Roman believers, but he's letting the Roman believers listening in on a conversation. Paul is using a literary device known as a diatribe, where he is having a conversation with an imaginary dialogue opponent. And the Roman church is overhearing this conversation with a self-righteous dude. He has been preaching this gospel to Jews and Gentiles alike, and he knows the response of a self-satisfied, self-righteous Jew. And many of the Jews at Paul's time viewed themselves as morally superior to the Gentiles. After all, they had the covenants, the promises, and most importantly, the law. And they would look down and judge others, like the Pharisee looking down and judging the tax collector. We felt this when we lived in Skokie. Skokie has a significant amount of Jews, and we had very good friends and neighbors who were wonderful uh, Jews that were very nice to us, but we also had some very super orthodox Jews who would not give us the time of day. We're not like them Gentile sinners. But Paul says, you're just as guilty because you practice the same things. You may not have this overt idolatry. You may not have this overt deviant sexual sins, but what's going on in your heart? Never mind the gossip and the slander and the strife and a variety of other sins. And that just as a Gentile would have no excuse before a holy God, so we have the Jewish believers are just as guilty. Now, I want to make sure we understand this because sometimes we can be so self-righteous as religious folk and we can think that we're up here and the rest of the world's out here and yet, Often, professing Christians are doing the same thing. There's a survey out years ago, Barna survey, and it was trying to do a survey to ask the question, do Christians live any differently than non-Christians? And the answer is yes, on some things. For one, Christians cuss less in public. Now, in private, it's another thing altogether, but in public, they cuss less. And Christians give more to the poor. They give more to charity. These are things that have been been proven. But unfortunately, Christians are just as likely to visit pornographic websites as non-Christians. They're just as likely to get drunk as non-Christians. They're just as likely to do illegal or non-prescribed medications 
just as likely to lie to get out of a difficulty and just as likely to take revenge as unbelievers. Do, do you see the problem here? Many Christians can fall into the same category as the Jews by looking down on the world and saying, you are the guilty one, not me. And so Paul continues. He continues on with verse two and he says, and we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Now, Paul lumps himself in with his fellow Jews and they know the truth and he knows the truth. He's he's lumped in with them and all Jews who know God's word that God's judgment, you saw it there, falls on those who practice such things. Okay, Mr. Moral Man, Mrs. Moral Woman, how are you going to escape the judgment of God if you're caught up in the same sins as the Gentiles? How will you escape the judgment of God? Now, it's not that we cannot make judgments and make right or wrong, and we can say these things out loud, we can say them to our neighbors, but here is the deal. It's when we're saying one thing and doing something totally different. That's what's going on here. You're saying moral commands, and yet you're living in the same sins of the world. It's like this. It's like the parent speaking to their child to obey, and yet they are not obeying. Or a friend speaking to a friend about, you better do this, and they have no intention of doing it themselves. But I can see you're not tracking with me, so let's just make it fun. It's like the husband and wife relationship where the husband and wife can lob self-righteous bombs at one another that goes kind of like this. Let's see if you're guilty of any of these, okay? This is a husband saying to a wife or a wife saying to a husband, you're so lazy. Why don't you be diligent like me? Well, there you go again, wasting money. Why aren't you wise with money like me? Oh, you're so immoral. You should be faithful like me. You just can't control your temper. I control my temper. Why are you freaking out and so anxious and worried? Why can't you be calm and control like me? Anybody guilty of lobbing those self-righteous bombs on their spouse? And yet, you act like that you're innocent. What Paul is getting at here is that even self-righteous people need grace, need the gospel, need forgiveness. And unfortunately, a lot of times, they don't recognize that. And that's where the Jews were. They may push back and go, wait, 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 wait. We have our religious heritage. We have our moral life before God. In fact, God picked us. He continues, verse four. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? So the Jew's gonna think that he's gonna escape the judgment of God 
Because God is patient, God is kind, but the character of God's kindness does not automatically equate to salvation. And many believe that today. God's so kind, we're all gonna get saved. No, no, God's kindness is to lead you to repentance. You see that? There was this guy in, in um, Chicago, Chicago. He was a, a, a barber. He was a hipster barber. And he was married, had kids. But he was living a sexually immoral life, a wicked partying life. He was out doing drugs. And one day, God just brought him to repentance because he was reflecting on the kindness of God in the gospel and giving him a wife, giving him a job, and giving him a kid. You see, God's kindness led him to repentance. But Paul says in verse 4, if you think lightly of the riches of his kindness, you're going to get wrath because you're hard heart. And he continues in verse 5, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. See, the Jew may be thinking, well, well, you know, God's going to take it easy on us because we're Jews. But God's judgment is based upon truth and not religious heritage. Okay, I need to say it again. God's judgment is based upon truth and not religious heritage. The Jews were actually storing up wrath for themselves on the day of wrath of God's righteous judgment. God was pulling back. He was pulling back his final judgment on them until he pours it out on the day of wrath. And their hearts are hard. They're not acknowledging their sin and their need for Jesus as the Messiah. So Paul continues in his argument with point two. God impartially judges all based on works. God impartially judges all based on works. Look at verse six. Who will render to each person according to his deeds or to his works. Now, before you freak out, Understand that believers are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And that's where Paul is headed and nothing contradicts that. But God will judge our works. And part of that judgment is works produced by faith that will be rewarded. But that's another topic altogether. We want to stay on topic here. Because what Paul is doing, he's moving from his diatribe with the moralists. And he broadens out to all of humanity to focus on the impartiality of God, that God is going to impartially judge all based upon works. Let's see the argument here. Verse six, who will render to each person according to his deeds, to those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation. There'll be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good to the Jew first and also the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. Once again, the main overall emphasis is that God impartially judges all based upon works. The Jew's not gonna get a pass due to his heritage and neither will the Gentile. Now the tricky part in understanding this is to see, okay, what is he talking about and how does that come into play in his overall argument? 
Now, there are two interpretations, and I don't want to get bogged down in this, and I could go either way with the interpretation. One interpretation says what's going on here is that God is judging even the Christian based upon faith that produce works. So the idea is that we are saved by faith alone, grace alone, finished work, Christ alone, and the proof of that faith alone is the works that come out of it. Not that you're saved by works, but by faith alone. That is one interpretation that's going on in these verses. I'm going to set that aside, and this morning I'm going to show you another interpretation. And I could go either way with these, but I want you to understand the point. The point is the standard of salvation apart from Christ, which is absolute obedience. And I think that perhaps that's the way Paul is arguing here. He says, okay, let me tell you how to get saved. You have to be perfect. And I think that's where 7 through 10 coming into this play. So he's making this hypothetical argument that those who are perfect will get in and those who are not will be judged. I know this is kind of in the weeds here, but look at verse 7 again. Verse 7, it says, to those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. So the person who presses on with persistence, perfectly good, and all of his works will get eternal life, which is hypothetical, right? Well, the opposite is in verse 9 and 10. There'll be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor, peace to everyone who is good, Jew first and also the Greek. So the focus is more on the standard than the ability of anyone to achieve the standard. I think it's important for me to quote a good scholar here that I really appreciate, Douglas Moo. Let me put this up for you. This should be in your handout, so I don't need to try to copy it down. Douglas Moo lays out Paul's argument. He says this. He says, salvation for both Jew and Gentile is available only by doing good. The power of sin prevents both Jews and Gentile from doing good. Therefore, no one can be saved by doing good. And that's the argument that Paul's making here. And so ultimately, he's going to lead to the fact that we need the gospel because we need someone who did good on our behalf. We need someone who kept the law perfectly on our behalf. Do you know of such a one? Yeah, that's where Paul's going. Jesus Christ, the crucified, buried, resurrected, and descendant one at the right hand of the Father through faith in him who did perfect goodness will be saved. Now, Paul is arguing here that the Jews are going to get no special treatment due to their religious heritage because they lack the good works of absolute obedience. And because of that, they are doomed. Now, let's kind of pull back a bit and talk about some of us in here who may have grown up and thought that based upon your religious heritage, your religious background, that you were in good with God. Jews may think that. Muslims may think that, Catholics may think that, Protestants may think that. They may think, I did confirmation class, I'm good with God. I walked an aisle, I'm good with God. I was baptized as an infant, I'm good with God. Baptized as an adult, I'm good with God. And we can think that these religious motions can say, okay, we're good with God because we did the right religious motions. This is me, classic me, okay. Ninth grade, I took a shop class. I don't even know if they do shop classes anymore. You know what a shop class is? You get around there and you mess with stuff that could hurt you, right? And so I was, I got a piece of wood and I was, had a, a burner thing uh, and I was burning the logo of the denomination that I was a part of because I was a religious young man. 
I had a uh, cross around my neck. I had a big necklace with a fish around my neck. I would go to these denominational conferences on the back of my car. I had a fish, had a big sign that said, Jesus is Lord on the back of my car. And if, if you have any doubt that I was a religious young man, I went to a striper concert. If you don't know who that is, don't worry about it. So I was going through all the religious motions, but I'll tell you this, I was an immoral, foul-mouthed, lying, stealing, cheating young man. I was religious and unsaved. And there are some of you here this morning that are religious and unsaved. You go through the emotions, but there is something else hidden and going on in your life that you think you're good by just going through the motions. Religious and unsaved. That's where the Jew's at. The Jew is living this way. Religious, unsaved, in sin, don't see their need for a deliverer. And Paul continues to argue that God does not show partiality to anyone. Verse 12, look at his argument. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Now those who have sinned without the law, those are the Gentiles, and the law here is a reference to the Mosaic law, or you can think of the Ten Commandments and more. And the Gentiles have clearly sinned without the law and they don't know the law. They'll be judged apart from the law. But the Jews who have sinned under the law will also be saved. Now, it's interesting that the Jews would think, oh, we are saved going to heaven because God gave us the law, not understanding that the point of the law was to reveal sin and drive someone to Christ. You get that? They think the law is our salvation and the word, the argument is, no, the law is like this tutor that is to show you your sin and lead you to Christ. They totally missed the point of the law. Verse 13, but it's not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So outside of Christ, if one could not only hear the law, but also perfectly do it, then they would gain a right standing with God. But the problem is no one in here and no one besides Jesus has been able to keep the law perfectly. And so as we hit Romans 3.20, Paul will eventually say, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Do you get that? You can't keep the commandments and think that's going to save you. It's supposed to reveal sin and draw you to Jesus Christ. If you ever want to talk to someone who says that they're going to go to heaven because they're a good person, then just start running through the Ten Commandments with them. Have you ever, you know, ever committed adultery? No, never committed adultery. Have you ever looked at a woman lustfully? Well, maybe. And start running through the, you lie, you cheat, you steal, you know, just kind of run through the commandments and reveal that the law is revealing sin because there are no good people. No, not one, except for Jesus. So the Jew may be boasting in his possession of the law, 
But Paul is going to argue that the Gentiles kind of have a law as well. Look at verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves. And that they show the work of the law written in their hearts. Hmm. Their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternatively accusing or defending them. Now that's interesting. It's saying that the Gentiles, they don't even have the law. They don't even know about it, but there's something going on inside of them that knows the law. They don't have the command, do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal. Yet most of societies in the world know this is wrong. You ever wondered about that? Like, how do they know that's wrong? Well, once again, verse 15 says, they show the work of the law written on their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternatively accusing or defending them. They don't have the Old Testament law, but by nature, they do what the law requires. Their conscience is somehow showing them what's right and wrong. And, and I understand that many cultures, these, these internal laws would be severely marred and they can vary from person to person in society to society. But the argument here is generally speaking, those without the law, they kind of know there's a right and a wrong because of their conscience. And the main point Paul's saying here is, just because you have the law, Jews, doesn't mean you're going to get saved because the Gentiles kind of have a law too. The Jew thinks he's special and will give himself a passing grade. My son went to the University of Colorado, and while he was there, he, he majored in um, finance, accounting, economics. And when you took those classes you got real grades based upon real numbers that you took on a real test. But he also got a minor in education. Now, educational classes at some universities are very different than the accounting and economic classes because the grades are kind of squishy. He would have professors that would say, you know, Give yourself whatever grade you want. If a B is going to affect your mental health, give yourself an A. Squishy. But Paul is arguing that God's law is not squishy. And it's absolute. And no one gets a free pass, not even the Jews. Which brings to his last argument that God's going to judge the secrets of us all by Christ Jesus. Verse 16. On the day when according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. Both Jew and Gentiles. We exposed as sinners on the day of judgment. Their secrets will be laid bare and they will have fallen short of the glory of God. People may look religious on the outside, but God knows what's going on in our hearts. He sees what's going on in secret and he can always hit on our motives to show us that we are sinners before a holy God. Your secrets will one day come out. My wife used to go to a church in uh, Denton, Texas. It was pastored by Tommy Nelson, 
uh, Denton Bible Church, and Tommy Nelson tells a story of a bivocational pastor, I think, in the area. Uh, this bivocational pastor also worked part-time for the city, and he was before the committee and giving a presentation with his commit, uh, computer before the city, a proposal, and he was having some trouble with his computer, and you know how the computers can be up on the screen at the same time, and instantly up on the screen from his computer, it showed that he had been storing child pornography on his computer. Revealed for all to see. He was busted, prosecuted, and put in jail. We can be religious on the outside, but God sees the heart. He knows what's going on. Of course, we're not perfect. We're sinners saved by grace. But you know there is a distinction between a sinner saved by grace and I'm a religious person. Let's keep the rest of this hidden. I'm good with God. There's a show on uh, Netflix right now. I do not watch it. I didn't watch it. It's, it's on um, Jeffrey Dahmer. He's, as you know, Murdered, mass murdered. Get this. There is one episode that I did watch on his conversion to Jesus, born again. Now you may think, what? He killed all those people and he gets grace and forgiveness? No. And then there is Ted Bundy, also killed and raped 30 victims. James Dobson goes to visit him in prison and leads him to the Lord. He finds forgiveness and grace in Jesus. Do you scoff at that? That the world is somehow made up of evil, wicked sinners and religious people. And you're not going to put yourself in this category of the Romans 1, so you're in this category. And so there's two distinct people. And so there are some people on this earth that don't deserve forgiveness. And you look down upon them. But I want to say to you, religious person, we are all sinners whether we're Romans 1 sinners or Romans 2 sinners. We're all breaking bad. No one is breaking good. And we all need grace. So for you here this morning, look down upon others. Expose yourself before God and say, Lord, I need grace. I need forgiveness. And maybe for the first day, Today, at first time ever, despite your church going throughout the years, you realize that you've been putting on a religious front and you have a secret life going on inside, at home, wherever, and you need forgiveness. Do not wait. You say, well, I hope I'm, I'm not ever exposed like that pastor on, you know, before the council and all that child, I hope I'm never exposed. I can assure you, one day you will be exposed. 
it's better to come clean now and repent and find forgiveness now than to face the judgment of God who will judge all the secrets and tensions of our hearts and our motives. We are sinners saved by grace. And we can all come clean and find forgiveness and grace and mercy in Jesus no matter what we've done. God knows. That's why Jesus died. You can find forgiveness today. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way.